Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that normally explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are not doing our normal Star Wars episode. We are doing a special episode on The Mandalorian. Back in 2020, our patrons voted on special episodes that they would want to see us do, and Mandalorian came in second, so we've already done our Dragon Prince one, and now, since the second season is out and we have watched it, we thought it would be a great time to do our Mandalorian episode. Absolutely. So this podcast absolutely will be spoiling both seasons one and two of The Mandalorian, and possibly might spoil some of Clone Wars just as a warning. But yeah, I was I was debating whether we should go with the format of just you do the pros, Chris, and I do the cons <laughs> because I think that would fall fall in line with our personalities in general and also our attitudes towards the show. But we'll both do our pros and both do our cons. <laughs> that sounds good. Sounds like you probably have fewer of them. Do you want to kind of give your pro overview? No, I, I want you to do the pros first, and then I can just respond can... to what you said. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe positively, maybe negatively. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, I foresee a bunch of yeah buts coming in <laughs> from this discussion. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, one of the things I, I really enjoy about The Mandalorian is just as... Someone who likes Star Wars and, as I've talked about in previous episodes, like has really enjoyed playing in this, the space of the Star Wars galaxy in RPGs and video games and all sorts of other kinds of things. It's cool to watch a TV show that is just playing in the space. It's like taking the sandbox of the Star Wars galaxy and some less explored areas and trying to kind of see you know, tell new stories in those areas that don't necessarily have to be on the level of galaxy-saving types of stories. And I think that that's really cool to see in a television series, a live-action series, in the way that we do. But that very much comes from my geekiness and nerdiness and love of the property. So there's there's absolutely nostalgia and other kinds of things <laughs> kind of tied into that. Yeah, which, yeah, I don't know. It's difficult for me because I have, like, the nostalgia to some degree, and especially for, you know, I, I will always watch the original trilogy mm -hmm. probably for the rest of time and feel a lot of nostalgia around it for sure. But for me, I mean, you can like nostalgia, that's great. For me, <laughs> nostalgia isn't enough mm -hmm. and just being in the world isn't enough. I need compelling ideas. I need to have characters that I'm really invested in. I need it to feel not so episodic. I mm -hmm. need certain things that make me more engaged and more interested in, in what happens. Whereas reading something like from a certain point of view, mm. I, I'm not that far into it, but it's just an anthology of a bunch of short stories that are taking place in Star Wars universe, if you haven't read or heard of it. And I've enjoyed several of those because of just this little dabbling of in the world but it it does feel different i think to watch something where they have a lot of hours mm. but they're not doing a ton of character development and they're not really delving into the things that i would like to because like you you mentioned like seeing more things in the world 
with it being as episodic as it is, you would think it could be a little more like Star Trek and you're seeing all these different planets, mm. right? But they don't do that. They keep going back to Tatooine for some reason. <laughs> it's like, why are we only on Tatooine? Nothing's happening here. I mean, apparently everything's happening here. Mm. But yeah, just things like that where I would rather see other worlds if they're not going to do as much with like plot and, and character development. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would say that the, the second season, it makes sense to go back to Tatooine because they're planning on bringing in Boba Fett. And that's where his armor was. That's where he fell into the Sarlacc pit. You know, so if they're they're if that's the where they're going, they need to go to Tatooine. The first season's journey to Tatooine could have been any desert planet or probably even a non-desert planet. Like it really wouldn't have mattered much. But yeah, this clearly is also just kind of I think differences in our personalities and the way that we engage with media because while I am absolutely still critical of this TV series and anything else that's in the Star Wars universe or other other universes that I enjoy, I'm also still able to watch and enjoy them even if it's something that I don't necessarily love just because it's in that universe. Like I can go back and watch the prequels and even though I have a lot of criticisms of those movies – I can still really enjoy it. I will most likely also be able to do that for the sequel trilogy at some point, and I imagine that would be different than your experience <laughs> with those movies. I mean, yeah, to some degree, I would probably just rather watch something that I think is better made. Totally. Yeah, yeah. For you, I think, prioritize world building more than I do. Mm. I prioritize characterization Mm -hmm. and i think they are pretty weak on the character side and the world building's okay (laughs) (laughs) i mean you would even say that right they they don't do an amazing job with the world building yeah I, i would agree i think that the one thing that they do do well which i put in my my kind of list of of pros of things i enjoyed about it is i think that it's really cool to explore the rise of the new republic and how that takes place, or, or how, how the Outer Rim is affected by that. How this place that was always fairly peripheral to the big powers of the Star Wars galaxy, be that the Empire, the Republic, whatever it might be. And so with this new transition coming in, how that's a really interesting place to look at the ongoing effects of the rise of the, of the New Republic and the downfall of the Empire but not the disappearance of all those who adhered to the Empire's principles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that there is some some interesting world building there, some interesting exploration of how this universe and, and the wider narrative would impact certain areas of the galaxy. But I would agree that the characterization and, and individual world buildings isn't always the best. I will say that it does have, I think, really great costume and set design mm-hmm. um, in the show. The time that he went to the ocean planet, I'm not even sure what planet he went to in the second season, but seeing all the Corrin and Mon Calamari working on the docks and on the ships and things like that, and just the way that 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 port city was built up on this planet that I'm guessing is an ocean planet, because in Star Wars, planets only have one biosphere, or one ecosystem, I should say. All planets are one biosphere. Um, (laughs) But... Yeah, I, I think that that was really cool to see. And so I, I liked that element, but you didn't actually get to know what the culture or ideas or, or philosophies 
of the Corn or the Mon Calamari on this planet were. None of them, yeah. I think, were named. You know, you didn't actually see much <laughs> Why of Why would we care about the names of <laughs> non-humanoid species? Yeah, so so characterization could be better, but the, the set design and, and those kinds of things can be pretty cool in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think part of it probably also is just the whole environment and kind of genre of Western I've never liked, even since I was a child. And since it sort of falls into some of that like Wild West sort of feel, especially because with it comes toxic masculinity, which unfortunately they don't do a good job at. Mm -hmm. undercutting and subverting because i mean it's basically about this guy who runs around and kills dozens of people per episode and it doesn't affect him at all Mm -hmm. and i have to be super good at fighting and i don't show my emotions and you know it's it's just very much just leans into all of that which i'm just not interested in yeah, and, and honestly, that's something that I find actively problematic because it's leaning into the Western, which is really a part of a narrative of colonialism and mm-hmm. empire in the United States, where this concept of the frontier was looking at some areas of this continent that were claimed by the United States, but seen as lawless and as a frontier, as away from civilization and thus racked with violence because there was no civilizing hand there just yet. And so it took the the violence of strong male individuals to kind of <laughs> exert control over the land, whether through our agriculture or, um, you know, whatever else they were bringing in, the railroad, all those other kinds of things they're bringing into this land. And it implies that the indigenous inhabitants were if they are considered at all, were savage, uncivilized, had no rule of law. Exactly. Which is just inaccurate. The lawlessness and violence that occurs, I put quotes and things on top of that, occurred because expansionist colonists came into the area and basically claimed that they were the new sovereigns of the area rather than the people who'd been living there and had set up polities with (laughs) systems and all sorts of different social and cultural and other kinds of norms and systems in these areas that now were being challenged. And so it wasn't an absence of law and policy and or, and systems like that. It was a rising conflict that came with imperialism. Certainly. And I think within the context of Star Wars, it leans into that as well, because mm-hmm. the people who are in charge in general are all humanoid. Mm-hmm. And whether that's on the Empire's side or the Rebel's side. And then you also have the Mandalorian who's humanoid and just going and doing whatever he wants to do wherever he is. And there's no consequences for that. There's no examination of what that means and what damage he does to the communities there or to the environment damage he does. You know, none of that's examined, which... Yeah, is problematic. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. Star Wars as a whole has really leaned into this this Western ideology in a way that is totally highlighting the right of civilization as a, you know, this kind of manifest destiny idea of moving into these 
quote-unquote frontier or quote-unquote uncivilized areas like the Outer Rim or whatever it might be. I will say that that Mandalorian Season 2 does do one thing that for Star Wars is pretty good, which is that it gives the Tusken Raiders some culture mm-hmm. and agency outside of just their bandits who shoot at non-Tusken Raiders. <laughs> yeah. And who, who attack them and can be scared away by scary noises and things like that, which are, are kind of how they're defined, especially in, in movies up to this point. And I mean, they're still the ones who have to go to the mouth of the cave and, and put their lives at risk while all of the humans stay back. But yes, there was at least something there that they they delved into. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they had a voice and a character that actually understood them and could speak to them in a way that, that gives them more agency. They, mm-hmm. who also said on their behalf, you know, they have been here for millions of years mm-hmm. and they've survived these stances sand this long and yes they are raiders and that that can occur oftentimes especially when imperial governments come into an area and one of the best ways of being able to survive and maintain your own culture is raiding (laughs) oh you took over the habitable land i guess we need to raid something exactly yeah and 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 i don't think that necessarily is meant to and i certainly do not mean to excuse or justify the the violence that comes with raiding and raiding cultures and histories that have existed in our country as well where you know you look at the the comanche who were raiding for slaves throughout the southwest of the united states and northern mexico and there was some really brutal stuff going on there and you can't just say that they were only victims of, of imperialism and that excuses what they did yeah but yeah. it still i think is important to I think that giving even their violent behavior, not justification, but rationale, showing it as decisions and choices that they made based off of the environment that they're in, continues to give them agency in a way that I see a little bit with happening with the Tusken Raiders and the Mandalorian that I didn't ever see in movies and TV shows in Star Wars up to this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this isn't the Mandalorian, but possibly my favorite one that i've read so far i've only read like five of the from a certain point of view stories but and, and you've read just the new hope ones right yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah neither of us has gotten into the empire strike backs edition which came out last year mm-hmm. but my favorite one thus far has been one about a tuscan raider and her wanting to live outside the gender norms of what her community says is necessary for her and different stuff it's it's cool yeah yeah absolutely yeah i really really would recommend that book as one of the best works in this galaxy in in a long time and i'm hopeful that uh empire strikes back will will meet the same standard Mm -hmm. but yeah why don't we get into some more things that you like chris well one thing I do appreciate seeing is how they're utilizing the Mandalorian as a way of bringing in some of the stories from Clone Wars and Rebels into the live-action, more mainstream form of Star Wars. The Clone Wars introduces, you know, all sorts of things that are happening on Mandalore, and more importantly, to me at least, introduces Ahsoka as these char- you know, as a character who grows into one of the most compelling characters in Star Wars for me. Mm-hmm. And while uh, I still haven't seen the end of her story in Rebels, I'm always excited to see more of her and to see her becoming, you know, coming more to the forefront of what's going on in the Star Wars galaxy. 
So any more stories with her, you know, and, and frankly, live action stories, I am always interested in because it, it does bring in set design and all these other cool, cool aspects to it. Um, I will say this does come with a kind of small negative that Mandalorian season two is basically the season of pilots. Um, <laughs> and I mean, pilots in the television sense, not yeah. the flying. But uh, but yeah, but Ahsoka's going to get her own show. Um, Boba Fett's going to get his own show. You know, other groups are going to be getting shows that are basically runoffs of The Mandalorian, particularly season two, which, okay, I can see why they would want to do that from a business standpoint, but it also led to a bunch of characters being there that I was just like, okay, but why? <laughs> um, still, I would say that it was really cool to see some of those plot threads being picked up in The Mandalorian, and in particular, the plot threads about what it means to be a Mandalorian and how... Even in the Clone Wars, there are all these different visions of what Mandalore meant and what it meant to be a Mandalorian, where Death Watch was a group that believed that being warlike was the best way to represent Mandalore and to to uphold Mandalorian traditions and things like that. And yet, characters also turned away from those tenets when it meant losing Mandalorian agency and sovereignty. And I think those are really cool ideas that, that were explored there that it's cool to see this this Mandalorian, Mando, deal with as himself being a kind of offshoot of Mandalore. And his conversations with Bo-Katan dealing with what it means to be Mandalorian for him versus for her, just really, really fascinating. And, and I appreciate seeing nuances there, particularly in a galaxy like Star Wars that tends to steer away from nuance. Yeah, for me, that was definitely the most interesting thing in this season. The different ideas of what it means to be Mandalorian, like, coming up against each other and being mm. like, hmm, okay, well, both of these groups are claiming this is what it means to be Mandalorian, and they're doing things very differently. And so I hope they go into more about mm. that in the future, because... Those types of concepts are, are really fascinating and would 100% be the case with not only a group of people, but a group of people who have had such a tumultuous history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it does also bring in, by bringing in, in Boba Fett, it brings in important Star Wars lore because he was the first person to wear Mandalorian armor for Star in Star Wars. And for years, he was the only person who was kind of seen that way on screen. So I think that, that, that especially that scene in, you know, whatever space diner or canteen they were in, uh, <laughs> where you see Mando, Bo-Katan and her group and Boba Fett there with all three of them having very different visions of Mandalorianness kind of coming to grips with one another and finding shared cause was, I think, really, really interesting in that in that way. Yeah, yeah. But I've talked a lot about some of the things I do enjoy about the, the show. Why don't you start bringing in your points of, of why you hate this show so much and just can't stand Star Wars for some reason? I never said that I hate it. I'm just not very impressed with it. And I'm not very intrigued by it, I guess. And I've already been bringing in those points all along I've the way. I've noticed. Yeah, this was a very <laughs> negative pro section. <laughs> it's discussions, okay? So I think, yeah, the lack of char character development, I think, really does make me less interested in the show altogether. The only characters that are in every episode 
well, basically it's the Mandalorian and then Baby Yoda comes in. And neither of them are very communicative. (laughs) Neither of them are super expressive. Um, They're not really having conversations with each other, barely. It's mostly like, hey, stop playing with that toy (laughs) or stop eating some other creature's eggs. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a little bit more just like, big tough man babysitting which as a premise is not that interesting to me Mm. you have some characters that could be interesting and i was very interested in quill Mm. quill then they killed him i was like but no like i want to know more about your culture i want to know more about like how you think about things Mm -hmm. and what your life is like in the star wars universe and then he died for no good reason he did And then you have someone like, I don't remember Ming-Na Wen's character name. I like Ming-Na Wen. Mm -hmm. She's great. But then, like, she just doesn't really get to do very much, you know? Oh, you're wasting her. (laughs) And then you have, I do find the mechanic on Tatooine pretty delightful. Yeah, she's fine. (laughs) But I'm really not interested at all in this like i am a tough woman fighter soldier person you know Dune. yeah i've seen that before <laughs> so many times and it's like that cannot be their only characteristic is that they're a strong woman you know mm. i feel like the show in general is pretty sloppy with women in mm. or female characters even with Dune in this season Now she's suddenly a marshal, whatever that means, (laughs) and is corrupt because, oh, baby Yoda was taken. So now I'm going to use my power to get somebody out of prison, force them to do something they don't want to do and put them in harm's way and threaten them if they don't. And then unilaterally make a decision at the end, like, oh, you helped out. So now I'm just going to let you go. This is such a misuse, like a corrupt use of power. And that's just not examined at all. And whenever I see that in shows, it really bothers me (laughs) because it bothers me in like real life. And it's just like, you're showing that this is somehow okay. And it's not. Yeah. I would be totally fine if they end up not bringing her back, which might be the case because Gina Carano, the actor, has gotten into a lot of hot water for some nonsense she said on Twitter this year. So, um, Oh, joy. <laughs> yeah. She's just being a marshal. No, I, mean, I don't know what she said. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, some, like, anti-mask stuff and oh, wow. uh, jokes cool. about the trans community and just election fraud claims, you know, all sorts mm-hmm. of things that... Uh... We know how much Disney cares about those things, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> but... Yeah, so things like that where it's just really shallow character development mm. and, yeah, just problematic things. And and I think that's been a problem that I've had with the show from the beginning is just there's so many things that I've seen, whether it's plot points or whether it's character tropes, that I've seen so many times. And, like, I just want to see something new. Mm. It bores me when it's like, oh, now they have a prison break episode. And, oh, there's a woman who's, like, 
unhinged, you know, who's a part of it. And it's like, I've seen that character done so many times and I've seen it done way better. Yes, you know? it's the Harley Quinn trope. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, you have all the money in the world. <laughs> Why don't you pay writers <laughs> that can like write something new, that can write something compelling so that I actually care about the characters, you know? If only. And and I do think that for me that kind of encapsulates the show and and the way I see it, which is that it's interesting as a spectacle more than it is as a narrative, mm-hmm. where seeing cool new things or good design or bringing characters together that you haven't seen in a while or seeing the dark saber on live action screen, like these are some cool things, but. I'm not exactly compelled by the individual actors who are making the narrative move forward. Yeah, it's just those things should be added bonuses mm. that are intertwined in good storytelling. Yeah, and, and similar to what you were talking about earlier with the Western genre, it also comes with this kind of glorification of violence, which Absolutely. I think can be difficult for, for people like us. It makes it so that Mando might be the protagonist, but I don't see him as heroic. No. I see him as invested, you know, in Grogu, but Grogu isn't just a innocent, benevolent being either. He's eaten eggs. He's mischievous. He's, he's you know, You don't really ever see him helping anyone, I don't think. I think only, he only helps Mando. Exactly. So it's, yeah. it's these people and, and, you know. Who only they're... care about the one person that they care about yeah. and not really anyone else. So protecting family, which I get and that that's powerful, but it doesn't automatically make me love a character necessarily. And the way that this narrative goes I never hated them, but I also wasn't particularly compelled by them. And that's saying something because I watched Game of Thrones and Pedro Pascal, who plays Mando, does an amazing job in his character in Game of Thrones. Probably my favorite character in the series. So he's got the chops. They just... (laughs) He's got the chops. He's got the chops. Oh, my God. Oh, dear Lord. So I don't know. Maybe they're going someplace interesting. I'm not sure. But... Like, I can enjoy, for sure, movies and TV shows and stuff that deal with violence, even though I'm a pacifist, that deal with war, even though I'm a pacifist. But, yeah, I don't feel like this engages with it in any sort of critical way. And, I mean, Star Wars has always done that. If you're on the quote-unquote good side, then your death matters. And if you're not, then your death doesn't matter. And then they try to throw in, oh, but... Mondo didn't want to kill that one prison guard, <laughs> you know, and for some reason he, he doesn't care about killing anyone else, but not this one prison guard. That's when he puts his foot down. So stuff like that, which is just, it's a plot device that's like very disjointed from everything else. Yeah. And, and I think for me, I also see that very much as furthering that kind of frontier narrative because the prison guard he doesn't want to kill is a member of the new republic and that makes it important and that really just has so many mirrors to ideas of oh you can kill as many savages as you want you can kill as many you know orcs as you want Mm -hmm. but you kill a human then it becomes an issue you kill a white person then it becomes an issue and Mm -hmm. the republic is standing in for the civilized person in this case so yeah again some some problematic aspects of, of that genre yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. How did you feel seeing Ahsoka on screen? Like, you were mentioning that you liked it, but, like, in terms of the plot and, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, there were some things that, that I think could have been done better, for sure. Um, we, we talked a lot about how she should have mentioned that she's not a Jedi. Yeah, every time they called her <laughs> the Jedi, I just, like, heard Janet in my head, Janet from The Good Place, being like, not a Jedi. Not a Jedi. So that was definitely something that that Yeah, I'm just like, that was, like, one of the best parts in the Clone Wars. Exactly. I also wished I could have seen a little bit more of her... Clone Wars era fighting style on mm. display. I think a lot of the action scenes there were pretty good, but it just wasn't, you know, and I know it's it's probably not the, era, the way that they were going for, but she didn't have the same kind of agility that Ahsoka had as a character mm. in, the, in the cartoons. But other than that, I, I was, I enjoyed it. I thought that Rosario Dawson is a good choice for the part. I think that she, she did a fairly good job of it. I, I'm excited to see more uh, in, in her series, but there's some things I'll be looking for, including some of those elements as well as hopefully a little bit more of her kind of sarcastic sense of humor, which you didn't see a lot of, mm-hmm. but you can't really see a lot of when she's acting across Mando. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so while I will watch Mandalorian season three and the new Boba Fett show and these other kinds of things, the one that I'm actually excited for is Ahsoka. And a lot of that is because... I have a lot more questions based off of her episodes on The Mandalorian that I want to be answered. I'm hopeful they'll be answered in ways that I'm I'm happy with and engaged with in ways that I'm happy with. But stick around and maybe you'll hear an episode where uh, I, I, I reflect on what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so is there anything in particular you're looking forward to in season three of The Mandalorian moving forward? Yeah, I think that for me... I'm looking forward to seeing what's going on now with Mandalore. We've all talked about how mm-hmm. the nuances with between the Mandalorian characters was something that was interesting for us. And it seems like if Grogu is leaving the picture, for the most part at least, that they can focus a little bit more on what's going on with Bo-Katan and the Darksaber and, and you know different concepts now of leadership and who is entitled to leadership of Mandalore and and what that who's entitled to citizenship of Mandalore and maybe we'll find out a little bit more about what actually happened to Mandalore because I don't really know based off of what I've experienced so far so um those are the things that I'm excited about for Mandalorian much more so than I I'm honestly more excited now that Grogu's out of the picture than I was (laughs) when he was kind of the central focus is there anything that excites you? Well, it's like I'm interested in seeing stuff about Mandalore as well, but I'm also like, ugh, of course you have to win this saber to be able to rule Mandalore, and oh, whoops, the man won it, you know? <laughs> like, oh, really? So I'm cautiously interested in, to see what will happen in Mandalore. That's that's about as good as you can get from Brittany. <laughs> as someone who's strived to get cautious interest from Brittany for the last five years, uh, that's not bad. <laughs> well, see, I'm interested in the concepts, right? The, these different ideologies, these different identities coming to a head. Like, that is an interesting premise to me. Mm-hmm. Since I'm not banking on character development to draw me in, it's like the concepts have to draw me in. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see if they can. Sounds good. Well, I guess we probably should at least bring up the... Mr. Skywalker? Yeah, the cameo at the end. What, what did you think about Luke's cameo 
or I guess it was more of a cameo than a cameo, his, his appearance at the end of season two. I didn't have a problem with it. I think, you know, it's a cute little, look it, it's Luke. And I mean, it was a cool scene. Mm-hmm. It's always funny to me when they like put in super cool fighting scenes because then you're like, how were you so bad before? <laughs> <laughs> and how did you, how are you not at that good later? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a huge surprise. <laughs> it was like, oh, it's Luke, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, well, they're hooded, so it's obviously someone we know. Oh, look at the color lightsaber. Okay, <laughs> you know? Oh, it's a gloved hand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, he came in on, on an X-Wing <laughs> three minutes ago. <laughs> it was also just a very long segment. It was. It was just like, look, Luke. Now he's going through this area. Now this area. Now this area. <laughs> and, you know, I, I had gotten it spoiled for me because the day after that episode aired, there were all these headlines about, you know, Mark Hamill speaks out about his return to... And I by that point, I had figured out what had happened, um, which was really, really unfortunate. But even if I hadn't known that he was going to be in the, the episode, as soon as he landed and got off of the hood, I would have been like... Well, that's Luke. (laughs) (laughs) And then three minutes later, I'd be like, I still know that that's Luke. You know, it's just, it took so long for him to to unveil Veil. But that also makes sense considering the graphics weren't that great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I will say one, one last thing about Luke, though, was it was frustrating that no one got his name. Not only because that doesn't make sense to me. Like, here's this child that I've been protecting for 20 episodes. Take him, whoever you are. But also, it left out the ability for, you know, if he says, I'm Luke Skywalker, for Bo-Katan to be like, Skywalker? Because she knew Anakin Skywalker. You know, just to have some sort of connection to more of what was going on. But uh, It's amazing with all of the technology that they have that... Two of the most influential people in the galaxy. People would just, like, not know who they are. You know, Luke Skywalker and Anakin, who turns into Darth Mm. Vader. Like, these people changed everything, right? And it's just like... Well, the thing is that social media was never invented in the Star Wars galaxy, which allowed for actually a flourishing that we will never experience. (laughs) Yeah, but they do have computers, so (laughs) they don't need social media as much as they just need like an article written, who brought down the empire? Well, this chap. This chap, yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say. I mean, most Imperial agents do have British accents, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cheerio and pip-pip. <laughs> On that note, we should probably say cheerio <laughs> to our listeners. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Next week, we will continue back to our regular rotation where we will go back to Harry Potter. Yeah, so we're going to be returning to Harry Potter. And we are going to be looking at it through the theme of violence. I bet we're going to have a lot to say there. (laughs) I bet we will.
If you want to find out more about us, you can go to our social media or to our website. Links to those are all in our show notes. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash lines, and that's a great way to help support us and make sure that the, the show remains sustainable and also get access to all sorts of fun extra content. This episode today happened because of the votes that our Patreon subscribers voted for, so if you want to... I'm sorry, patrons. You probably wanted to hear something more positive if you voted for this one. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I mean, they probably know us by now enough to know that. The Dragon Prince (laughs) one and hear a lot of positive things. There you go, there you go. (laughs) Um, We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!